Hey y'all, my name is Marisha Malcolm, and today my wonderful co-host Abigail Franks is unfortunately unable to join us. Nonetheless, we send her all of our prayers and our love. In Southwest Louisiana, coastal erosion and more violent hurricanes and antiquated infrastructure have combined to create a perfect storm of environmental vulnerability. Today, we look at the devastation caused by rising rain levels and flooding, as well as the resilience of communities in the face of these constant difficulties. Today, we bring in the executive Executive Director of Healthy Community Services, Dr. Angela Chalk, and the Executive Director of WaterWise of the Gulf South, Jeff Supak, to speak to the climate solutions at the state, local, and community levels. Climate justice, y'all, it's real, it's here, and it's about time. We listen to folks like Dr. Angela Chalk and Jeff Supak. All right, let's get started with the show. This is Climate Justice, y'all, a podcast dedicated to lifting up and centering the climate and environmental justice movement in the South. Despite the South being the most biodiverse, diverse, and one of the largest economic engines in the world, we are underfunded and often barred from the decision-making table. Because of that, we decided to pull up a chair and amplify the stories of communities in the South that are hit the hardest by the climate crisis. We're using good old-fashioned storytelling to shine a spotlight on these Southern leaders from all walks of life, putting in their blood, sweat, and tears to transform the region. The usage of y'all in the title is on purpose. We are honoring our Southern heritage of creativity, resilience, and ingenuity. Climate justice, y'all. It's real, it's here, and it's about time. Y'all hear what we have to say. Hi, y'all. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump right on into this. Um, we have Dr. Angela here with us and Mr. Jeffrey. Uh, I'm just going to ask you to start off introducing yourself and the organization that you work for. Um, how did you get passionate about environmental justice and whatever expertise that you work in? And um, how did you get started? Well, thank you for having us. Um, I am Dr. Angela Chalk founder and executive director for Healthy Community Services. We are a community-based nonprofit organization in the 7th Ward of New Orleans, Louisiana. And I came to this work through a conversation with a then 14-year-old who's now a coastal and community science um, graduate student at LSU, which is my great niece. Um, And from that conversation, that single conversation on that Saturday morning, bringing her to work, um, I came to know about green infrastructure and the use of nature-based solutions. A couple of weeks following that, um, Jeffrey Supak was working for an organization then called Global Green, and they were introducing um, green infrastructure into communities of color. And so I went to that workshop And from there, I learned what green infrastructure actually was, how it could be implemented in our neighborhood. And um, I won an assessment. And so when Jeff and the architect at the time, Dana Brown and Associates came to do the assessment, we learned how water could be managed and stored where it falls so that the neighborhood wouldn't flood as a result of heavy urban rainfalls. And so from that time forward, it's just become um, a passion that, and that programming was added to Healthy Community Services programming in, uh, with, of stormwater management. 
Healthy Community Services programming focuses on coastal resiliency, stormwater management, and urban agriculture, with urban agriculture being our first programming um, in, in the organization. And just this year, we're going to add a new programming using um, hemp as a sustainable material, natural-based material in both coastal resiliency and um, in building sustainable housing. And so um, this is how I came to this work um, through Jeff Supak. And here we are eight years later uh, doing this work where, and I'll let Jeff give the statistics of what what our work has encompassed with um, engaging and educating residents across African-American residents, mainly across six predominantly Black um, communities led by organizations that are women of color. Um, and so the problems that we're addressing is um, urban stormwater management and all the things that are caused by urban stormwater management, whether that be um, the urban heat island effect or looking at issues of using solar energy. It's a whole host of things. And through um, the community organizations, we're able to um, bring that programming through each of our community organizations and working in a collective Working in the collective um, is beneficial because we get to share resources and build our capacity and work through our weaknesses and strengths together as um, women-led organizations. And so that's how I came to this work. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Hi everyone, thanks for having um, us on today. Uh, my name is Jeff Supak, I am Originally from South Texas, I actually got really interested in environmental issues through another passion, which is also environmental, but which was um, meteorology. I was a huge weather nerd growing up as a kid, and I was always fascinated by the weather. My parents farm rice, so as a um, child of a of parents that are farmers, you have to watch the weather every day. It's like something that we did daily because it we depended on it so much. Um, and I became really fascinated with hurricanes actually. But then um, Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans and that was really my first time that I understood what environmental racism was. Um, and it made me really rethink my career path and where I wanted to go from there. And it gave me more interest of studying climate change, um, which was something that I was just kind of learning about um, a little bit in high school, not that much, but um, I really was wanting to understand more about the implications of climate change. And so I did that, I ended up going from wanting to study meteorology to switching my studies to environmental science. And I was um, first, first generation college student for my family. So um, there was such a um, high desire for my family to do something like engineering or medical or um, law, something along those lines. But I knew I was called more to environmental science. Um, 
And I really then became aware of environmental justice through my programs. One of my programs, we went on a field trip to Houston and we spoke with people and um, in frontline communities that were located right next to refineries and all the pollution that was blowing um, into their houses daily. So I got to have real conversations about them. And while that was happening, my family actually went through um, an oil refinery blowing up and displacing them from their house for two years. So it all kind of made sense while I was doing this work and why the work that I was doing was um, significant for the future and for um, knowing that our, our future was changing due to climate change. And so after college, I didn't really um, have a place to go. It was 2011, the recession was happening and you know, I had friends that were moving back home. Um, I didn't really have a home because my parents were displaced at the time. So I kind of hit the ground running and did some internships um, with Environmental Defense Fund. And then I was really struggling to find a job. So I did the AmeriCorps program. And the AmeriCorps is... All right. So it seems we lost Jeff, y'all, for a minute. They're having a bad thunderstorm. Um, so his connection and things went um, went out, but that's okay. We still have Dr. Chalk here with us. So uh, we're going to just continue through um, as normal. Um, next question. Um, in your mission statement, it speaks of green infrastructure. Can you speak to this and what it means to you and how it affects uh, local communities, positively and negative, if there are even any negative effects? Okay, when we speak of green infrastructure, we're talking about those systems that um, manage water. And so there's green infrastructure and then there are nature-based nature -based infrastructure that is a part of green infrastructure. So green infrastructure could um, encompass interventions such as um, French drains that have the um, that don't have any vegetation associated with it, or it could be permeable pavers, or perhaps even um, permeable concrete or stormwater um, planter box, or a um, rain barrel where you harvest water. The whole idea behind green infrastructure is managing water where it falls or to reduce what, what's called the time of concentration so that it allows, um, in our case, the pumping system to um, catch up with the amount of rainfall that may be occurring in any given period. Now, when we say nature-based solutions, that's a type of green infrastructure that's using vegetation so that water can be infiltrated in, in return to the um, the water table because we suffer in Southeast Louisiana with um, with subsidence, particularly in urban areas, because if you think about a sponge where there are periods of time when you may have um, lots of precipitation and urban flooding, and so the sponge is wet, and then there are periods of time where there is no rainfall and the sponge is dry and it causes um, land shrinkage, and so we have that subsidence in our land. In New Orleans, in particular, 
um, are those are those systems because um, it's not just Orleans, but Orleans and Jefferson parishes. Um, we have to pump water out because of the levee system. So the levee system protects us from the Mississippi River with the rising um, tides of the Mississippi River. Because if not, we would have episodes of where the river would um, overflow its banks. And so because of the economic um, value of the, the lower Mississippi River, we are encompassed by a levee system. And some levee systems could be um, earthen levee systems and other ones could be walled off levee systems, such as the ones that we have in Orleans and Jefferson parishes that are under um, control by the local flood authority that are um, constructed by the Army Corps of Engineers. And so together, that's how we um, manage water. In other areas of um, the country, gravity controls the flow of water. But because we have um, a levee system, we have to pump water. And in Orleans Parish, we pump water from high ground to low ground. High ground being the Mississippi River, lower ground or marshy, marshier grounds as it was then is um, towards Lake Pontchartrain. And within the, that area that we're talking, talking about, there are ridges. So there are natural ridges that have existed since um, the city um, became into existence. But because of urban development, you know, we use more concrete, we have um, more houses, more density. There's no way for the water to um, permeate into the into the ground the way it naturally would with a natural water cycle. And so we need the pumps, the pipes, the drains, and the canals to move water. And so to complement um, the more frequent and more intense rainstorms that we're getting as a result of climate change and weather impacts, the use of nature-based solutions and, and other green infrastructure techniques help to slow down what's called that time of concentration by managing water where it falls to allow the pumps, which we have is the age infrastructure, a um, hundred year old system that is unique um, to anywhere in this country and how we pump water in a city that um, some levels are below sea level um, so that basically the city can stay dry. And so, um, it's a unique operations if one ever gets the opportunity to visit um, a pumping station and Waterwise Gulf South does um, annually. We do tours with our um, Waterwise Neighborhood Champions uh, to see the operations of a pumping system. So the whole the whole idea behind the work that we do in bringing the community is um, engagement and outreach to engage, educate, and empower residents to make decisions um, about what's best for their families in managing stormwater. To date, we have 175 um, neighborhood champions throughout the network that we've engaged with that, um, that not only learn about stormwater management, but learn about native plants, the native plants that we use in the, in the vegetation, 
the vegetation of planning these interventions. Um, we're managing um, right at 200,000 gallons of stormwater across six neighborhoods. And yeah. that um, storage capacity has an eco service benefit of $19.3 million. And the investment of those projects are um, right at a, a half a million dollars using phil philanthropic support. So that's a 30 to 1 to 40 to 1 um, return on investment um, when you're talking about what are the benefits to the communities that we serve. Yeah. So. Well, Dr. Chuck, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I do want to ask you a question here. Sure. So are these community-based solutions like y'all gathered as a community and said these are the issues that we have in, and these this, these are the solutions that, that we've brought into the community? Absolutely. All of these actions are community-led, community-driven, and these are what resident state um, this is the issue. So residents in each respective neighborhood identifies um, a, um, a flooded area through a series of visioning workshops. And so we come together through these series of visioning workshops to determine what project we may take on pending the available funding. But even yeah. before we can get to the visioning workshops, residents have to understand what it is we're dealing with. And so there's a 101 workshop, a green infrastructure workshop that residents attend to um, understand what is green infrastructure? How does it work? How does it affect us? And then part three of that to become a neighborhood champion is to visit, uh, is to take a tour of green infrastructure projects of other um, interventions that we've put in on public and private land and to understand how collectively the system works. So it's no one going out saying, hey, I want to put this project here. This is, again, all community-led, community-driven, and the community organizations work um, with residents to- Dr. Chuck, this is brilliant. This is amazing. <laughs> this is like, oh my God, that's amazing. So- And, and, and let so me say this, this is the reason why I say that we're nonprofit community-based organizations because uh -huh. each of the women who lead these six organizations live and work in um, the communities that we serve and we are long-time legacy residents. So we didn't just show up and say, we want to do something to the community. Hmm. We work with our communities. Right. Say this is this is what we want. So this doesn't sound like it's just one community facing this issue. It sounds like it's kind of like statewide, if you will, even region wide. What is y'all state legislators doing about this issue? Has there been any any word? Well, again, remember we have. Um, we have in our area, our immediate area, we have the pumping system to deal with. So we have to pump our water out. In other areas of the state, gravity is what removes water from those communities that are flooded. And that flooding may come from um, rivers rising. We're not talking about um, inundation of water due to hurricanes. We're talking about just like, for instance, today, um, uh, a rainfall, a heavy rain event, 
because we know our climate is changing. And so these heavy rain events um, may sit over a community, which then impacts the community with the heavy rain events and then rivers and creeks and bayous start to overflow. And so not only do you have the heavy rain event, but then you have the ravine flooding. And in in New Orleans and in um, Jefferson parishes that are within the levee systems, we have um, the aged infrastructure that may cause um, our flooding. We've not in recent times had any of the bayous to um, overflow or any of the drainage canals to overflow as in other areas of the state. But we have that aged infrastructure or that great infrastructure that is aged, the pumps, the pipes, the drains and canals that, that the hydraulics of that impedes water from being pumped um, efficiently or effectively or as best that the pumps can keep up with the amount of rain that falls in a short period of time. Because I'm not going to say that the pumps are inefficient or ineffective. It's just that we, in some occasions, have so much rain in a short period of time that the pumps can't keep up because our pumping system can only manage the first inch of rain in an hour and then a half inch every hour after that. So if there is a four inch rain event, there is no way that the the pumping system can keep up its capacity to right. effectively remove that water. So that's why we need um, the green infrastructure, whether it's a nature-based intervention or one of those other interventions that I discussed. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so speaking on um, community-based solutions, uh, I just want us to imagine, like, let's just pretend one of our listeners, um, they want to organize a, this solution into their community, but they don't know where to begin. What, what's your advice? Where do they start? And take us through that process. Let me just say, I travel across the country a lot. So no matter where you where you're at, um, in, in in this great land, there are people that are doing phenomenal work Very true. Very true. all across um, the country, whether it's Arizona, who uh, the state of Arizona, and particularly the Tucson area, where they're harvesting water, or here in Southeast Louisiana, where we're managing water. Seek out those community-based organizations and um, get involved. And if there is no community-based organization that's doing the work, then you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, engage, educate, empower. Those are the three E's that I always speak of. Um, it takes the community to be a community. So if there's no one doing it, um, you do it. Uh, it can be as simple as starting on your block and getting all the neighbors on your block to plant a tree. Um, it can be a entry, I like to call it an entry level in, um, intervention. Um, do a planter box, a rain barrel, plant a pollinator garden because all of those things have ecosystems benefits that um, that will benefit your community. Uh, and if you're in the New Orleans area, um, certainly reach out to us at Waterwise Gone South or Healthy Community Services, Greater Treme Consortium. Um, Bunny Friend Neighborhood Association, Holly Grove Dixon Neighborhood Association, um, Lower Night Ward Homeowners Association, New Orleans East um, Green Infrastructure Collective. 
seek us out. We're we're all over. And again, if there's no one doing it in your neighborhood, you be the person. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So um, to end the show out, this is a question we ask all of our guests. And of course, we're going to ask it to you as well. Um, this word can be pretty heavy um, in terms of whatever that means for you, whether that's mentally, physically, emotionally, however that means. Uh, what gives you hope? And what's your final words to, you know, bring us out? Um, three things. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, remember to rest. Secondly, rely on your core team of people. And here at ACS, there is a team of people that allow me to do the work that I do. And then thirdly, find a group of people with similar goals, missions, and values that align with you and work with those people that will have honest relationships that are respected, valued, and are sustainable And then I said three, but the fourth thing is um, be proud of the community that you're in and you can change that community by valuing the residents, the social norms and the cultural norms of that community. You would be amazed at the transformations that occur within a community. Perfect. Thank you so much. Hey, y'all, Abigail here. Um, So as you may have heard, there were a little bit of some audio issues in the original recording with Angela, and we couldn't hear Jeff. So we went back with him to get his nuggets of wisdom as well. And this worked out so I could join the conversation too. So, (laughs) all right, y'all enjoy. Good morning, listeners, or good afternoon, wherever you're calling in from. Um, We're actually, you know, we really wanted y'all to hear Jeff's nuggets of wisdom too. And um, I was able to make it to this part of the recording. And so we are here with Jeff uh, Supak, if he pronounces his name differently, I apologize and he'll correct me. But um, could you introduce yourself and your organization and why you became so passionate about environmental justice? Absolutely. Um, Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, And my name is Jeff Supak. I'm with Waterwise Gulf South. You pronounced it my last name perfectly. Um, And I um, actually became... Well, first of all, let me just really quickly say what Waterwise Gulf South is about. And we're we're focused on um, advancing green infrastructure in the Gulf South, although most of our work happens currently in New Orleans, in the New Orleans area. Um, And I became really passionate about environmental justice through really just growing up in the Gulf Coast region. I was able to kind of see firsthand um, all of the injustices happening in the region, all of the pollution from the petrochemical companies. Um, I grew up and experienced many flooding events myself, grew up near Houston, Texas, and um, so many times when you turn on the news, the local news, there was some sort of flooding event happening in Houston and you could clearly see who it was affecting and who it wasn't affecting um, just by turning on the news. So I, yeah. I definitely understood environmental justice from that context. I think really Hurricane Katrina was the first time when I was in 11th grade that happened. And that was really the first time I, I understood environmental racism, which of course, I wish I learned that from a younger age, but um, kind of the education system in Texas. Um, 
So unfortunately, I had to learn it in real time as people lost their lives, lost their property. Um, and a lot of those same people migrated to my part of the Gulf Coast. Um, and yeah, it was really sad to hear their story, what they've been through. And then in college, environmental justice came up again. I took an environmental justice course um, at Texas A&M where I went to do my undergrad and went on some tours of Port Arthur, Texas, Houston, Texas, directly talked with people who were frontline community members living next to these petrochemical companies. And oddly enough, at the same time, um, my family was being displaced from their home due to a natural gas explosion that happened right across the street. And they were displaced for over a year and a half. Oh, um, great. So that's yeah. like multiple, multiple layers. Yeah, just multiple layers and seeing it. Of course, my experience was totally different than other people's experience. Um, and even different than my family's experience. I was two hours away in college and they were kind of living with the effects of it. So, but yeah, it was, it, it was around me. I was starting to kind of put the pieces together um, around that time. And, and that's really where I started kind of the pathway into environmental justice. I love that. And Waterwise Gulf South, um, Marisha, I'm sorry if you and Angela well, got to talk about this, but to reiterate, um, what do y'all do again and what is y'all's focus? Yeah, so Waterwise Gulf South, um, we were actually formed originally after the urban water plan was released in the city of New Orleans. So the urban water plan was a kind of a, a, a response after Hurricane Katrina, several years after, not directly after, but years after um, conversations with um, the Dutch around how to manage water better in the city of New Orleans. And the urban water plan was released, I believe maybe around 2017 or so. I could be totally wrong on that date. Um, but it was released as a, as, as a vision to see how the city of, of New Orleans could better live with water. Um, and what WaterWise, where, where we came involved with it is that these really big, large-scale shifts in how we live with water were interesting, of course, but we also recognized that many people in the city were so um, traumatized by the flooding that occurred during Hurricane Katrina. And that if we really wanted to live with water, like there would have to be a total shift in the relationship of how we even view water in the city of New Orleans. Um, and we really took more of a like grassroots micro approach um, and asked people to think about their houses as a watershed, their property that they live on and how they could better manage the rainwater, which, you know, Hurricane Katrina was flooding caused by storm surge, but that's not the only flooding that we experience here in the city of New Orleans. We have a lot of flooding with just um, rainstorms, thunderstorms that kind of um, get stuck over the city and they can be these isolated events. And people have drainage issues on their property, standing water for days, which causes mosquitoes to breed. And um, 
it really doesn't help with the beautification of their community. So we were really focused on like, how can individuals on their own property improve their drainage using green infrastructure, rain gardens, bioswells, rain barrels, French drains, stormwater planter boxes to manage this water. And again, that was our initial attempt. But what it grew into was something much larger. And what we saw were that community-based organizations such as Angela's, who, who we all talked to, and then other community organizations were saying, yeah, this is actually something we need to see in our neighborhood, green infrastructure. And this is something that we need to be a part of the conversation about and not just um, left behind on. And so that's where WaterWise really shifted its perspective of let's work with community organizations that are already culturally connected to their communities, that have a lot of knowledge of their communities, have a lot of constituents that um, see them as a trusting resource to be the ones to really take on this issue. And so WaterWise really right now plays a role in helping support community-based organizations to build their capacity to increase green infrastructure in their communities and to advocate for just in general, better stormwater drainage infrastructure, both gray and green in their neighborhoods. That's beautiful. It's it's rare, at least that I hear, um, organizations come and listen to communities and actually form community solutions and even scale them to to a bigger capacity. So that that's beautiful that y'all are doing that at Waterwise, um, and I applaud y'all for that. Um, I do want to speak on like the state level solutions or like policy level. Are, are y'all working towards that or are y'all just sticking, sticking with community and scaling them within community? Absolutely. So WaterWise is kind of a unique model in that um, we've, we've kind of built a little family of these community organizations that in that have come together organically. Like WaterWise didn't go around and say, oh, we wanna work with Healthy Community Services and Greater Tremay Consortium. It was like, everyone kind of came to us and said, this is something we need to do. And so we said, let's do it. Like, let's form this collective. And that's what we kind of call ourselves today is the WaterWise Gulf South Collective. And we've just been digging deeper and deeper into these issues. and. You know, I'm saying that we're we're really, of course, our mission is let's advance green infrastructure in these communities. But we're recognizing, just as you're saying, um, that the policy is just as important, right? Like community project, community led projects are great, um, but if this is not codified or um, supported in government procedures and practices, like where is this going to go in the long run? So we actually were able to develop and form a policy and advocacy committee. And our colleague, Kim Doley, and another community-based organization, um, the Bunny Friend Neighborhood Association's leader, Catherine Prevost, kind of helped form that policy committee. And it's made up of residents who've gone through our WaterWise program, the Neighborhood Champions program that we have. And together, this 17-person committee works together on addressing policies, both at the um, city level. And I'm going to say like, that's kind of where we're at right now is city level policies. We haven't really got into state level policies, although we're definitely looking at that. Um, 
And we're also really concerned about federal level policies. Like we really want to understand like how can we um, ensure that federal agencies, and I'm gonna use an example here of like FEMA for instance. FEMA invested a lot of money recently into the city of New Orleans over $1 billion. I think it's about $2 billion was the actual number to re um, to fix our streets essentially. Um, and so that, that means ripping up streets, improving our drainage, putting the streets back. And unfortunately the policy and procedures that were created with that contract was we're going to build things back as they were. Um, meaning there's not much room to actually innovate and streets are a great place where you can imagine green infrastructure going. You can imagine cutouts for trees, for bioswells, for permeable, um, even permeable streets. But that wasn't really placed in the contract and there's no wiggle room there, which was such a missed opportunity of $2 billion being sent to our city where we could have innovated the way that our streets work because our streets are an important part of our drainage system. I mean, that's where the stormwater goes, right? When it rains, it goes to the street, so it goes to the catch basins, goes into the pumping system. Um, and that was a missed opportunity of where we could have said, hey, we actually need to, to do better here. So um, that's something we're looking at. We're definitely looking at um, local policies, um, especially around development and like how are we ensuring that how are we creating a culture here in the city of new orleans that says we're really concerned about climate change and flooding and any developer that's coming to our city to develop something or redevelop something needs to have that same exact concern and um not get in this habit of exempting developers for the sake of economic profit profitability but thinking about if you want to develop and make money here in the city of New Orleans, you need to be thinking about our climate and our climate is affecting us already today. Um, so we're, we're working on those um, ordinances to make sure that there's no exemptions, that um, we're even asking smaller developers to play a part in that game. And then the last policy I think that we're really concerned about is that we're talking about um, inequities and unfairness is that there are um, a really high number of tax exempt properties in the city of New Orleans and in the state of Louisiana, generally above average for the rest of the nation or compared to the rest of the nation. And about 60% of the properties on our tax payroll do not contribute to any sort of stormwater drainage payments or funds. So these are large tax exempt properties like Tulane University, um, hospitals, churches, um, nonprofit developers. And I'm using air quotes around that because I'm like, what is a nonprofit developer? Um, but they're developing these things, these properties with a lot of concrete and huge swaths of land. And they're not paying for their their stormwater drainage, like residents pay in millages each year through their property tax. So we see that as an, as a, you know, like that's not good for our system. We're missing money on the table that we could be using to maintain our great infrastructure system or potentially to help fund some more green infrastructure in our communities. That was a long answer. I apologize. Um, and I don't even know if I answered the question, but 
in the short, we're like very concerned about policies as it relates to stormwater in our city. Yeah, and you know, don't apologize because I think you're touching on like part of the broader obstacles that we're dealing with, especially in the South when it comes to climate adaptation and mitigation, especially for what communities want. There's a lot of roadblocks at the local ordinance level. Like it's a little, like it's little things that are becoming obstacles. And so your work with uh, Waterwise Gulf South Collective is, was it collective? Is that the specific word? Mm -hmm. Collective, yes. Yeah. And so like, it sounds like y'all are doing work with the communities and you're also kind of being a little bit of a bridge slash trying to address things like the obstacles that are getting in y'all's way of adapting is that what i'm hearing yes and um i think that's a that's the word that um i actually wanted to even respond with marisha's question about is the bri like the bridge building that we're doing and it's it's interesting, and I don't even think you can pull at this point water-wise Gulf South away from the community because we're so intertwined together now that the bridge building is really the community organizations, the neighborhood champions. Like we're going in um, to city council meetings and we're going to, or to meet with city council members. We're going into stakeholder meetings with government officials. We're asking our water utilities to meet us to go on tours of our projects. Like we're very as a collective, we're very intentional about the bridge building that needs to happen between government and community because a lot of the people that are in government have experienced the same flooding. It experiences, it affects them as well. And then what we're also discovering is that the bridge building is not just needed between community and government, it's needed between different agencies in government as well. We're finding that those agencies aren't communicating effectively to um, really serve the community um, as well. So I think that's kind of what really 2023 has looked like for us is mm -hmm. we're, we're really in this like bridge building work um, to say, hey, like we're all in this together. We're all affected by climate change. No one is gonna come out dry from this situation. Um, and I think New Orleans is a unique place where it's like there's neighborhoods below sea level and there's neighborhoods above sea level. But what's interesting is that even those neighborhoods that are above sea level, they've experienced flooding when it when it rains really intensely as well. So so it's kind of like we need an all hands on approach. And that's what we're trying to do as a collective in general. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the key when it comes to getting actual like scaling the adaptation um, like Marisha was mentioning earlier because we're going to need all hands on deck <laughs> when it comes down to it right. and yeah um, but Jeff I really you know we're talking a lot we talked we discussed the issues that we're dealing with can you discuss more about First of all, what gray infrastructure is, what blue infrastructure is, and what green infrastructure is, and what some of the blue and green infrastructure solutions that you're like excited about and like how it affects local communities. Sorry, that's a lot of questions. Let me break that down. One, please define the different infrastructures for our listeners who don't know. And two, what are the positive uh, green, like the green and blue infrastructure solutions that you're excited about? That's what I'm trying to ask. 
yeah, I'm happy to happy to do that. Um, so, yeah, great infrastructure is. Um, and I'm going to talk about it in New Orleans context. Um, it's really about what we're using currently to manage the stormwater. So when it rains here in the city of New Orleans, um, depending where you're at in the city, because I mentioned there's neighborhoods above and there's neighborhoods below sea level. Um, but just because we have so many neighborhoods below sea level, we have to pump our stormwater out through really intensive, an intensive pumping system. So great infrastructure is anything like the storm drains, the pipes connected to those storm drains, the larger pipes connected to those pipes, the canals that those that, that goes into, and then the large pumps, um, and then the outfall canals where the water ends up in Lake Pond Street. So that's kind of our great infrastructure here in the city of New Orleans that we're um, accustomed to. So and great infrastructure is just like the like the what we're used to with concrete and buildings and exactly gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and the pipe systems. And it's really in what gray infrastructure for us is about is like, how can we get the water out as quick as possible, right? Like, how can we just get it off of our property, off of our streets, um, and get it out of the city? Um, green infrastructure, blue infrastructure. I actually don't really use the term blue infrastructure that much, and I don't even know why I don't use it, but it's not really a term that we use often. Um, but I imagine that looks like more like, um, you know, daylighting canals, bringing them back to life, having more like permanent standing water, um, sort of um, infrastructure across the city, which we do have canals here in the city of New Orleans. A lot of them are buried underground. Some of them are exposed and open. And both the ones that are exposed and open are really, um, hidden behind walls and they don't have much room for the water to take up space, if that makes sense. Um, so blue infrastructure would look more like daylighting canals, meaning if they're buried underground, opening them up and then like giving them more room for the water to kind of fill up, creep into some green space and then slowly percolate back down um, as the rainfalls move on. Green infrastructure, um, what we really work with here in the city is, or with WaterWise, is about how we mimic nature, essentially. So how do we um, use more green spaces? How do we use more, um, get rid of more concrete so that the water can actually infiltrate back into the ground? How can we create more rain gardens where we remove some really dense clay soil and add us um, a more penetrable bioretention soil with native plants and trees that like to soak up the water? So green infrastructure is really about mimicking nature, essentially, um, and how we can bring more of this nature back to the city um, to, to hold some of the water. It may hold it um, temporarily, so it may, um, you know, it could be raining, a green infrastructure system could be holding it for a short period of time. And after that rain passes, that water can then exit back into the pumping system when the pumping system is not so overwhelmed by all the rain. Um, or it may infiltrate and go right back into the ground, um, which is great for us here in the city because 
we're wanting to fight subsidence and sinking because so much of our stormwater, our water, groundwater table has been drained with a pump with the pumping system, causing a lot of subsidence and sinking in the city as well. So those are kind of some quick definitions of green, gray, and blue infrastructure. Perfect. And what are what's an example of some positive like solutions of like green and blue infrastructure and like yeah i'll just uh, what's an example of that um i think an example of it is so we've done several of these projects we've done we've been able to install over a hundred green infrastructure projects um across the city most of these are done on private property so small scale i would call them small scale green infrastructure projects um, especially for residents to help improve drainage on their property. Um, so a lot of times, you know, I say every resident in New Orleans probably, I can just blindly kind of say this, you could probably use a French drain at your house. You could probably, a French drain is sim a simple trench where you have a perforated pipe, meaning the pipe has little holes in it and that pipe is placed in this trench and the water, some of that water can filtrate back into the grounds. Some of that water can exit off into the street, um, slowly exit off. So I think a French drain is a very simple technique we're gonna do at a residential project. Um, if I can squeeze in a tree in front of someone's house between the sidewalk and the street, I'm gonna you know, try to have a conversation with them about why trees are important. And um, this is a great opportunity for you to put a tree in. Not only is it going to drink up some stormwater, it's going to shade your house, save you on the energy bill. Um, there's a, there's always, there's a right tree in the right location sort of mindset that we have to have. So I'm not going to say like, oh, your house is um, right on the street. We should put a live oak that's going to be huge over time. Like maybe a sweet bay magnolia. It's a smaller tree native to Louisiana. Um, still loves water. Still is going to provide some shade throughout the year. So I think those the tree and the French drain are always the two things. I'm like these are what we can probably have at our house. Rain barrels are another great way to do that. Um, but if we're thinking on a larger scale, we've done a few larger scale projects as well. And these are more in the public right-of-way, meaning they're probably government-owned land, whether it's the city of New Orleans that owns them or the State Department of Transportation and Development, which is a really huge landowner in the city because we have a lot of state highways that crisscross the city of New Orleans. And a lot of that land adjacent to those highways is open green space that's owned by um, the State Department of Transportation and Development. So those are great opportunities. I, I'm sure Angela mentioned her Vision to Reality project, which was a, a project envisioned by residents along Claiborne Avenue, where water can exit off the street into a large bioswale system um, comprised of native plants and trees that soaks up about 35,000 gallons of stormwater. So that is something that we're envisioning in a lot of our communities is how can we um, allow water that's building up on our streets to exit out into these green um, these green spaces that can also um, be a place for trees to live, for native plants to live. And how can we do that in a way where it can be maintained easily by 
the government and it can also be inexpensive. Um, that's something that we saw in a report recently that came out. Um, the Some folks from the Netherlands came to New Orleans through a contract with the city of New Orleans and they did a report on the state of green infrastructure in the city. and. That was one of their recommendations is how can we design really simple features that are cost effective and can be maintained easily. So those are some of the ideas that we're looking at. We've had larger kind of more um, exciting conversations just about how our streets are also designed. If you've ever been in New Orleans, we have a lot of green space between our streets. Um, like one lane on one side, then a strip of green space, and then another lane on the other side. We call it the neutral ground here in the city. But what, how they've been designed is unfortunately the neutral ground is the highest point, and then the streets are the lowest point, and the lowest point is the sidewalks, and then the neighborhoods. So the water kind of flows off of the neutral ground, like a, imagine like a hill. But what if we could redesign our streets where the neutral ground was the, was the lowest point? this green space in the middle of the streets and we can have the water instead flowing into the neutral ground, almost like into like a canal sort of feature. So that's something that we've talked about as a group and that we've been really excited about if we can rethink about how we design here in the city. Well, Jeff, before we let you go, first, I want to thank you for coming on with us and having this good old chat. Um, it is nice to hear the these things that you all are doing with uh, WaterWise and the Gulf South. Um, but we like to ask all of our guests before they head off, what gives you hope um, during your your fight in this good old climate justice space and do you have any final words just that you want to leave on leave on with us well yeah thank you all again for having me and um i appreciate being given a platform to speak about the Waterwise gulf south work and i think the the thing that gives me hope is you know i'm not sure what is going to happen with climate change and my gut has always said that Mother Earth kind of wins <laughs> in the end. Um, nature is pretty strong and water is powerful, as we know. But I think if anything came out of Waterwise Gulf South, it's actually not even... Like, I don't look at this organization as like, we're going to solve the issue and we're going to all of a sudden make New Orleans not flooding, not flood again, or we're not going to allow for flooding. I look at it as if anything, we built really strong bonds amongst people that are um, trying to find hope in a situation that is very dire. And we are finding that we're all affected by this issue. And we bring you know, together a diverse group of folks who would never be connected if it wasn't for this issue of I'm really frustrated by flooding in my city. And at the end of the day, I've been able to see projects implemented and some of those projects could have been their vision directly. And it feels good to be able to do that. Like it feels good that people are having a say, that there's a moment of um, of 
storytelling of people and not just storytelling, but actually like they are using their stories as knowledge of how their communities could be better with green infrastructure. So I really enjoy that process and it gives me hope that, um, that people really want change to happen and, and they're showing up to do it. So that, that gives me hope at the end of the day. And it makes me continue this work, even when it gets really tough, when it gets really political, when it gets really emotionally draining, um, or when it feels like we're just climbing maybe the biggest mountain ever, and who knows if we're ever gonna make it over and across. So that's the hope that I have moving forward.